Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. Genesis moves really fast, right? There's, it's very terse, and so a lot happens in one parsha. So we only read the first third, um, or sometimes the first few sentences um, of a parsha, and so there's this huge hunk of stuff that happens that we don't know about and we pick up after that, right? So uh, in Lech Lecha, we read about uh, Avraham and Saras, uh, Avram and Sarai at that point, right? Um, heading out, um, there is a famine, Avram goes down to Egypt and sojourns there. Uh, we have the uh, incident of Pharaoh taking Sarai into his harem, because uh, Abraham has passed her off as his sister so that they don't kill him and take her. So she is taken into Pharaoh's harem. Uh, Then they get gone from there with lots of stuff and lots of camels and lots of people and lots of uh, good stuff that Pharaoh sends them out with uh, because a plague has come on Pharaoh's uh, palace for taking a married woman into his palace. And uh, what else happens? So we have Lot, right? Lot is the nephew of Avram. They both are so successful now that uh, they have to split. They have to part ways. Um, Then we have this incident of Avraham as warrior. Uh, He makes an allegiance, an alliance with five kings, uh, and they fight a successful battle uh, against, you know, you got to love some of these Hebrew names. Kedar Lamor is the guy they beat. All right, so all, all of this happens at the end of Lech Lecha. Also, what happens is Hagar. Remember, remember the, the incident with Hagar and Ishmael? She did. And she comes back. Remember the angel? She meets an angel, and the angel tells her to come back. All right, so all of that has happened. Where we pick up right now, uh, is at the end uh, so at the end of Lech Lecha, the, the previous Parsha, uh, Avraham is told by God he's now Avraham right, so we added, remember last week we talked about Ahay gets added to Avram and he becomes Avraham and Sarai, that Yud is changed to Ahay as well so she is now Sarah so now we have Avraham and Sarah, they have Yahwahized their names, right? Okay. Yudhe Vavhe, taking the Hays from Yudhe Vavhe, they are now more Yahwist names, right? Worshippers of Yudhe Vavhe. So Hagar, that happened up top. Hagar, what? Hagar, that whole thing when she went out and blah 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 and cried and they just said come back. That has happened somewhere between our last week's portion. Okay. It's part of last week's Parsha. We, okay. we, but we only get to the first third because we're in the first year of the triennial reading. Exactly. But okay. what was the reason that the names were changed? So, so it's a religious, whenever we talk about some kind of conversion, we're talking about, right, identity, we're talking about changing our names, right? So when Yaakov gets changed from Yaakov to Yisrael, mm-hmm. right, you will no longer be called Yaakov because he has had a religious transformation in his wrestling with... Right. 
fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. Those of us who have been studying that story together a long time, right? Fill in the blank what he's actually wrestling with. But, but he understands it as having encountered the divine. And so now, right, he is Yisrael, the one who wrestles El. Right. Yeah? Right. Who's El? Big Daddy. Oh, mm-hmm. Big Daddy. <laughs> All right. Because if you want the worshipers of El to worship Yudhevavhei, you need to keep that name. My name got changed too. Right? Of course. Was the, right. L, was the L ever used in other tribes or in other parts? Yes. L was the chief god of the Canaanite pantheon. So if you want those Canaanites to be now worshipers of Yudhevavhei and Israelite, you need to keep the Christmas tree, <laughs> right? You have, you have to give them something they're familiar with. You just reconstruct what L, who L is, what L means. All right. The significance of names is just so beautiful. The All huge significance to names. All right, so Yishmael. So Avraham is told to take Yishmael uh, at the end of Parshat Lech Lecha and every male in his household and he is to circumcise Ishmael, the men of the house, and he is to circumcise himself. That happens uh, at the very end of Lech Lecha. Thus Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised on that day. All his household, his houseborn slaves, and those that had been uh, brought from outside were circumcised with him. Right? Okay. So <laughs> how old is Abraham now? 75? No. He was 75 when he left Haran. So he's now in his 90s. Now, he is not a surgeon. He has no, presumably, surgical implements, right? And he's told to circumcise himself in his 90s. So, right. So for some of you, it will be more painful to imagine than others of us, but. Um, Parshat Vayera therefore begins r- immediately after it's important to remember this immediately after the circumcision alright I mean, or that's all we hear about now look it could be six weeks it could be two months it could be we don't know but for the rabbis it's important that the very next thing after the circumcision is our Parsha is what happens right now okay alright so let's let's have Bert would you read the beginning of Vayera. The Lord appeared to him by the turbans of Mamre. He was sitting at the entrance of the tent as the day grew hot. Looking up, he saw three men standing near him. As soon as he saw them, he ran from the entrance of the tent to greet them. And bowing to the ground, he said, My lords, if it please you, do not go on past your servants. Let a little water be brought. Bathe your feet and recline under the tree. And let me fetch a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, then go on, seeing that you have come your servant's way. They replied, do as you have said. All right. So we have the circumcision. The very next word we have is vayera. What is vayera? And appeared. Appeared. So working with the verb to see, this is the verb for to cause to be seen. So God causes God's self to be seen. God, Vayera, God appears. Elav, to him. To who? To Abraham, right? Be'elone um, Mamre, uh, by the terebinths of Mamre. So we are dealing with a grove, 
right, of trees. Often if you had a grove of trees, one tree standing apart becomes the sacred tree to Asherah, to the goddess. So there's a mixed, there's a mixed history with groves of trees, but clearly this is a famous grove of trees. And most likely there had been many stories about, um, about the patriarch, about Avraham and these or the, the leader, right, the patriarchal leader and the grove, because it seems it uses the uh, definite article, the, the trees of Mamre. So they are known. They are, it, no one has to explain where they are, what they look like. Everybody knows what these are. Um, and as I, as I said last time I taught this, Parsha, um, we, we think probably also this grove would have been associated with Sarai, right, that, you know, if, it's, if we're talking about Asherah, we're talking about the goddess, we're talking about Sarai as princess, as priestess, then we are probably talking about a sacred history uh, about these terebinths uh, with Sarai. And then when it's an Israelite story, of course, um, it becomes now about the patriarch. It becomes about Avraham. So he's sitting there, Kechom Hayom, at the very hottest part of the day. All right, so Israel, those of you who have gone in July, <laughs> right? At the hottest part of the day, right? It is intense. It is very intense. So he's sitting petach ohel. He's sitting at the opening of the tent. Avraham is a sheikh. Avraham is wealthy. When you think of his tent, don't think about what we take camping <laughs> on a canoe trip. When you think of his tent, think of a Bedouin tent. Think of a compound. It is a huge tent, Avraham's tent. So if you go, if you've ever been to a Bedouin tent and you are welcomed in for a meal, you have a sense of what that is like. That's what Avraham is, is in. His compound with the big tent where guests would have been welcomed and the whole household would have been fed, right? Lying on cushions, and right? Okay. So if that's what's happening, he's just been circumcised, possibly, and it's the heat of the day, and you're in this big tent, where are you going to be in that tent? Taking rest. Where? In the shade. In the shade. Where are you not going to be? In the sun. Petach At the door. You are not going to be sitting at the door. You're not going to be sitting at the opening. It's hot, really hot. You are going to be lying down in the middle somewhere where it's really cool. The flaps are open, so air is coming through. Your servants are bringing you things, right? They're peeling your grapes, all of that stuff. <laughs> Fanning you, all of that stuff, right? And so, like, Abraham's sitting at Petach Ohel, at the opening of the tent. So already the rabbis are like, hmm. Why? Right? This is an engraved invitation for the rabbis. Why is Abraham sitting at the entrance of the tent? Any guesses? I know Bert knows. Because <laughs> he told me. <laughs> We've studied this a few times. He has a job to welcome. So he, he is a man of hospitality. So, he, so even if he has a job to welcome, he has servants mm -hmm. to make sure that people are welcomed and brought to his tent. But Why is Avraham sitting at the entrance of the important. tent? So it's that important that what? He be there. That he be the one to greet strangers. guests, right. to greet what's going to turn out to be strangers. 
He's looking for opportunities to be hospitable and to be a host. This is where, this is where the rabbis go. The, he is, he's anxiously sitting at the petach, so he is sure not to miss anybody who might be passing. Welcome back. Nanette. Mm-hmm. Um, don't take such a big break again, all right? So um, he's there to, to make sure he doesn't miss the opportunity to welcome someone and bring them into his tent. This is how important hospitality is, but we're, it's even more important, as we're going to see. All right, so what happens next? Vayisa enav. He lifts his eyes. We know about this, don't we? Because what happens with Hagar, Jody? Right. Hagar lifts her eyes, and what does she see when she lifts her eyes? Oh, my God. The water. The well of water. Life-giving water. So Yisa enav, lifting up the eyes in Torah, is a purposeful act that allows us to see yes. what <laughs> Thank you for the affirmation. The, like, <laughs> so, so lifting the eyes in Torah is about um, purposefully seeing in a way that allows us to see what might have been there all along. The, it doesn't say God created a well or God put dug a well or like well exist, right? It just says she lifted her eyes and saw the well. So it is very possible the well was there all the time and it's not until she was able to lift her gaze in a certain way that she was able to see it. Possibly that's what's happening here. What we know is it's the same idea. Abraham lifts his eyes and and he sees so now he's right like Hagar he sees and how do we treat, treat, translate hine? yo right in English they often use an L I think it's lame and lo like right okay and yo what's there there are three men Remember Parshat Nitzavim in Deuteronomy? Like we talk about standing, but standing like a pillar, like a statue. Nitzav, to be, what do we, I always forget the English word. What do you do to a pillar? You don't stand it up. What do you do to it? You erect it. So it's, that's the sense of this word. But the Hebrew is interesting. Shlosha Anashim Nitzavim Alav. Three men are standing alav. What's alav literally? Nearby. Huh? Nearby. I love on him. On him. Oh, on. Yudvav makes it him. I love on him. Yes. So. It could mean close. It could mean on his. Could mean close. They're there. In his face. All right. So what happened? How did? He's got his, he's sitting at Petacha Ohel. He, he controls the entire territory. How is it that all of a sudden three men are on top of him? They're not men. They're not men. Okay. So already we have an indication in the Hebrew that something's fishy here, right? Something's up. This is not normal. He would have seen them coming from a distance. But if they're not men, if they're something else, they might could all of a sudden just appear. Just be there. Supernatural. Supernatural. Feverish. All right. Or he fell asleep. 
And Laura Diamond, thank you for chiming in with the practical interpretation that it is possible he was taking too much oxy and he <laughs> fell asleep. And next thing you know, three guys are standing at the entrance to his tent. Okay. He was also recuperating. He could have been like That's what I'm saying. Like, right, he was doing too much oxy and, you know, was out of it or he's just like, okay. So. So we don't know. What we know is suddenly three men are, the Hebrews on top of him. Like in English, we say that like, you know, I say it to my daughter sometimes, you're on on top of me, like back back up, right? So, um, all right, so what what happens? So vayar, again, we get the word vayar, he sees. Vayarats likratam, and he runs to greet them. Mi petacha ohel, from the opening of the tent. And what is the appropriate thing to do if you want to acknowledge the status of someone else in the ancient Near East? You bow down to the knees, forehead to the ground. Right? So this is what Avraham does. He leaves, he runs from the entrance of the tent at, to greet them. Uh, that shows their status right there. The host is leaving his abode to go greet them, as you would with royalty. If royalty is coming to your house, you don't sit and wait for them to knock, right? You, you go meet them. Uh, you're anxiously awaiting them, and so you go meet them, uh, and he, he bows to the ground to acknowledge their status and the fact that they are what? Welcome. At his, uh, in his territory. And he has no idea who they are. He has no idea who they are. No he's idea. He's still humbling himself by bowing. 100%. 100%. He's signaling humility. He's signaling safety. He's signaling you are welcome. You have status. You have standing here. Vayomer. <laughs> Next thing he does is he says, what? Adonai. 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 If I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass by your servant. All right. What is with this? What is with the address here? Adonai. Hmm. It's strange. It's strange. Why is it strange? Well, we've already said they're not not necessarily men. We don't know what they are, but. Adonai is God. Ah, ha, ha. He's proclaiming who he is if he says Adonai to start. All right. Yes. When we read Adonai in the Torah, in Hebrew, mm-hmm. when we read Adonai, what are the letters we have for Adonai? It is vocalized, Adonai, because we can't say this. This is unpronounceable. Right? For those of you who don't read Hebrew, this is the equivalent in English. You can't say it. It is purposeful. We've talked about this a lot in here. It is purposeful that you can't say it. It's designed to be ineffable. Unknowable. Because it points to the ineffable. All right. So it's, but we have to do something when we get to that word in Torah. We, if we're chanting Torah, we, you can't just skip it. We say Adonai. 
right? Here's the abbreviation, yud yud, right? So we put the vowels for Adonai under yud hey vav hey. Yeah? This is how the mispronunciation Jehovah comes about. They look at the vowels for Adonai and try to pronounce them with these letters. Another aha moment at KI's Torah study. So that how the, that's how the pronouncing of yud hey vav as Yehovah comes about because they're looking at the vowels, okay? For Adonai. Why? Um, okay, well, it doesn't matter. All right. So. Dana, are you getting ahead of me? <laughs> oh, all, right. all right. Stay with me. Stay with me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. All right. So yud hey vav hey. That's what we usually see. That's what we're reading. Yud hey vav hey as Adonai. But that's not what we have written in verse 3, is it, Dana? <laughs> what do we have written in verse 3? The word. The word, Adonai. The actual letters, Aleph, Dalid, Nun, Yud. What is Adon? Adon, Masher, Malach. What's Adon? Master. Master. How do you say, my master? Adonai. 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 My master. How do you say plural? My masters. Adonai. Adonim Shali. My masters. Adonai. Adonai is my master. Which is this? Plural. <laughs> How do we know? How do we know it's plural? Huh? Oh. What day no? There are no vowels in the Torah, people. <laughs> yeah. Is it Adoni? Is it Adonai? We don't know. We have to decide how to vocalize it. Everybody who would have read <laughs> brains moving but faster than the mouth. Anyone who would have read these texts, anyone who would have listened to these texts, anybody who would have written down these texts would have known how to vocalize Adoni or Adonai based on the context. Our problem is there are three men. So you would think it's what? Adonai, plural, my masters. If it please you, don't pass by your servant, right? What's the problem? Why can't we just go, well, of course. What's the problem? What's the verb for don't pass by? Alna ta'avor. Ta'avor is masculine singular. Now we have a problem. If it's Adonai, then... Al Yavru. It should be plural. Don't pass by your servant. But it's so it's vocalized Adonai, but it probably should be Adoni, my master. Don't pass me by, masculine singular. Right? Then it would line up and it in would make more sense. And then in that case he would be talking to one of them. Maybe chief mysterious dude, right? <laughs> is who he's talking chief. to. The one who looks like the boss. So is the Hebrew ta'avor with, with different 
without the vowels, that could not also be tav. No. You need a vav. And it wouldn't be a tav in front of it. It would be a yud. Y'all. You plural would start with a yud, not a tav. The, the verb is, is ayin vet resh, avor. That that tav is singular, masculine command form. Don't, t- don't, do, don't do that. It's the do that part of don't do that. Yeah? That was, I'm sure, clear as mud. Okay. So, um, all right. So, where are the rabbis going to go with this? Other texts. So, you could look at other texts to see if there are parallels. We don't have any that we know of. The rabbis, the rabbis cannot ignore that that says Adonai. Are you kidding me right now? They cannot ignore that it says Adonai. So where are they going to go? Vayomer. Vowels are everything. And what else have we decided? Punctuation is everything. Right? Let's eat, comma, grandma. is very different from let's eat grandma, comma, save lives. All right. So, so if we change, right? If we change the punctuation, if we add a comma, Vayomer, he says, whoa, getting tippy. He says, right? Vayomer. If we add a comma, what's the next word? I don't know. Yeah. Comma. What does this do? He says, comma, Adonai, comma. Is this mean Adonai is talking? He's talking to God. The rabbis can't pass by the fact that it says Adonai here. They just can't. So now, now what's happening? How does this change what's going on? Vayomer Adonai, and, and he says to Adonai, mm-hmm. capital uh, Aleph, <laughs> capital, we don't have capitals in Hebrew, right? Capital A, if I have found favor in your sight, your eyes, don't leave, don't pass by your servant. He's not talking to the three visions of men. He's talking to if he's talking <clears throat> to God, what's he saying? Stay here. Stay here. Stay here. Don't, don't leave. Are the three men gone? Or is it just a vision? We're, we're, let's just let's just hold. Let's just hold where we are. So don't leave. Yukach na me'et mayim lechem. Now he turns to the three men and says, take a bit of water and wash your legs and sit under the tree and I'll go get a little morsel of bread, right? So that y'all can have a nice picnic lunch, (laughs) right? Um, Seeing that you have come your servant's way and they replied, that sounds terrific. Thank you so much, right? So, So for the rabbis, why does God appear here? Vayera elav Adonai in the beginning of our parsha. What is God doing here? He's a support. 
Because? Because the, the, he doesn't understand what's going on. So Abraham's just been circumcised. By himself. By himself. He did it himself. They made a cup. So then God appears to Avraham. What is God doing here? Bikor Cholim. Comforting him. Visiting He's the visiting the sick. God is visiting the sick. God is performing the mitzvah of Bikor Cholim. Duh, like when somebody you love is hurting and they're wounded and injured, you go visit them. So that's what God's doing here, say the rabbis. So what does Avraham say? Avraham says, Vayomer Adonai, Im So Avraham says to God, Stay here. <laughs> I gotta go take care of some strangers and feed them and wash their feet. Stay, stay here. D- don't, don't go anywhere. Right? I'll be right, I'll be right back. <laughs> so he's putting aside his own comforting. He's putting, he's putting aside his own comforting. Right. He's putting aside God. He's putting aside the, an encounter with divinity. Divinity has come to his house. Hold on, I have another phone. Hold on, I have another call coming in. To go help others. To go be of service to? Strangers. 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 So for the rabbis, this is a teaching about not only the importance of Bikur Cholim, even the divine does Bikur Cholim. Mm-hmm. And for the rabbis, by the way, God always does Bikur Cholim. Mm-hmm. And so if you go to visit a sick person, it says in the Talmud, you are going to sit at the feet of the Shekhinah. The Shekhinah is at the head of the bed of every sick person. So you are actually going to visit with the sick person and the divine when you go to do Bikur Cholim. So it's not just about Bikur Cholim, how important it is to visit and comfort the sick. That's big enough that God does it God's self. That's already pretty huge. What's bigger? <laughs> even then the, an encounter with God, even then being with God, God's self, what's more important than that? Going to be of service to the stranger. So if we were to translate into our time and into our society, who, who's the stranger? <laughs> yeah. Who's the stranger? Who, who is the stranger in, in this context, in the, ancient, in the ancient world, in the ancient Near East? Who's the stranger? From another country, from another place. Another country, another place. The immigrant. The immigrant. The gayer. The gayer. The stranger. The stra- and what is that? So so we define a stranger, a gare, in this context as someone who has no protection of clan. Oh. Right? That is who is vulnerable in this world. That is why hospitality to the stranger in all of these <laughs> cultures to this day, <laughs> among the Bedouins and, and other traditional peoples who, who have been semi-nomadic, pastoralists, to this day, the most important th- well, not th- uh, that even higher than a value. What is the, the most important thing is hospitality because you're vulnerable. And if anybody is allowed to hurt a guest in your house, nobody is safe when they travel. This is what Sodom and Gomorrah is about, by the way. 
Sodom and Gomorrah is not about sodomy and not about homosexuality. <laughs> Absolutely not. It is 100% about this. It is about the fact that the guests were going to be violated. They were going to be taken from the host's house and violated. That's the big thing that got Sodom and Gomorrah. That, that was the evidence of the absolute corruption of Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? How corrupt were they? We get a story of guests who are going to be violated in a host's home. Unthinkable in this society. The guest had absolute protection of the host. Absolute. The host was to even put their life on the line or, or offer themselves, right? Is that subordinate to the stranger here? So, well, God forbid we would say God is subordinate. What, would, what can, all we can say is that to Avraham, if we read it this way, and I, and I know it's a stretch, but it's okay. I think the rabbis are doing it on purpose, right? They're reading it on purpose this way to say, for Avraham, he knows that to serve the divine is ultimately not about hanging out with the divine. That's why we don't have monasteries, right? To just sit and hang out with God, that's lovely, but the rabbis are misreading this text on purpose to say Avraham understood that true service of the divine is to serve and protect and bring into your home with great dignity and humility the vulnerable. It's action. The immigrant, the alien, the person who has no protection and is now in your charge. He runs to meet them. Rots. It doesn't say he He ran to meet them and bows to the ground. He is eager to respect and to serve, to welcome, to feed, and to protect the stranger, the alien, the immigrant. Well, I think to to David's point, I think the way to look at it is that whereas God is absolutely on top, our obligations to God don't trump every other obligation. In other words, we have the the obligation, the obligation to hospitality trumps the obligation to hang with God. Our obligation to save somebody who's drowning trumps the obligation not to work on Shabbat. Can't you find another word? Um, So, 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 so yes. So yes, there's a hierarchy. Yes, and I think the rabbis would say, and or we even we could say that they are not. They're not different. God's call for me to live a life of sanctity by not working on Shabbat is important. Unless somebody is drowning. Now, Shabbat is still important. And everybody has to keep it. And as soon as I pull that guy out of the water, I'm going to keep Shabbat too. I'm not going to drive, I'm not going to get my car and go to the mall, right? So, so that's still important, right? So yes, how I serve God in the moment is defined by the circumstances, right? And so Abraham feels, if we do this stretched reading of the rabbis, Abraham feels comfortable leaving God's presence to go serve God by serving the strangers who have appeared. So it's not an insult 
what Abraham's doing. Correct. It's the reverse. Look, I'm not going to say... It's honoring God. I'm not going to say it's not chutzpahdik. <laughs> right? Like, Abraham's nothing if not filled with chutzpah. Right? He, it's a little chutzpahdik, but he's also... A, he's going to argue with God too like in a in a little while so Abraham having kind of a chutzpahdik relationship with God is is like a little bit like Moshe and God Robert but, but there is something else going on that's really important it's not just this putting God on, on hold uh, and as you said to this present day it goes on in, in the few nomadic tribes that are still around the situation then was that that uh, uh, the dangers were so great of living the way these people were living that at any time they could be vulnerable too, and they knew it. Correct. And they had to count on their family, the, uh, the tribe, and maybe even strangers to save them. Hundred percent strangers. There, but for the grace of God, go I and. Hundred uh, percent. That is. And not even the grace of God. Not even the grace of God. It's gonna be me. <laughs> right. It's right. not like, oh, I hope that's not me. I it's so going to be me. I Next so time much. I have to shear my sheep. Correct. And I have to travel for three days, right? It, it could easily be me. It will be it me. Will be and it'll, or it'll be my children right. who are going to have to right, do business and are going to have to leave the family compound and the family territory. It was going to be every, everybody understood. It, it was, was a universal true. truth for them. Susan and, and Dana? to this day, even if you're not in a nomadic tribe and we are forgetting it. What? <laughs> what, Robert? You think that we're not in touch with this so, idea, Susan? I'm oh, sorry. Somebody did. Another clarification. I don't mean to anthropomorphize God, but it's okay. When we say God sitting off to the side waiting, I immediately think, no, he/she is observing and watching, and maybe he's right there with Abraham. Abraham doesn't know it. Lovely. Lovely. Remind me when I remind me. I want to close with an Art Waskow piece that's exactly that goes exactly to this, Jody. So the three men who appeared, who um, he did not see coming up, right? Would they be manifestations that God just put in front of him to say, we, we, "Let me see how you're going to do So okay, so so a test. Yeah. We we know about Abraham and some God. tests, don't we? Yeah. So um, so we we're going to find out who they are. We, uh, we find out who they are. Yes. I just wanted to introduce a little bit of a different perspective. Uh, is that, it, to me, it was more of a sign of respect that he was communicating with God, uh, whatever word they were using right now. And it was a sign of respect in terms of the continuity of the communication. I need to attend but what if we imagine that they were just sitting in a big circle and they were all sitting and then Abraham was communicating with God but then he had to say something out of respect. He didn't just leave. He said, this is what, please forgive me. How do we know what those words meant at the time? There might have been a lot of aspects of reverence and respect that we don't get. Okay. I'm giving you. I'm giving so you. Okay. I'm not disagreeing that he's respectful. He's completely respectful. No, no. But he's completely respectful. That's what I'm saying. But I'm saying that that might be the point because if we paint a picture, 
of the event, then there's God here. But Abraham probably knew God was not just here. But that was his experience in the communication. There was some subject sure. object. But exactly. he knew he wasn't leaving. He wasn't talking to God like a dimwit. Like God was a dimwit. Right. Let, let me teach you. I, I understand. I understand. Let me answer. Let me answer. So my, my pedagogy is just saying I am hyper-reading the stretched reading of the rabbis on purpose. I am not suggesting that that version, like Dana said, God goes with him. It is God. It, it, of course. And of course. So I'm not meaning at all to suggest that, that he's being disrespectful to God. I'm, I'm hyper purpleizing how the rabbis read it to make a point. Abraham was willing to risk offending God by saying, hang on a sec, please don't leave. I got to take care of something. They read it like that for a reason. Not because they think that's what happened. They read it like that because they're trying to make a point to us yidden. <laughs> Right? They're trying to make a point to us Jews. You think it's so great that you hang out with God and you pray 17 hours a day. Good for you. Meanwhile, what's happening at our border? Miss mm-hmm. Pius, mm-hmm. right? You're hanging out with it. That's what they're doing. They're, they're reading it a certain way with a certain cheekiness on the part of Avraham to give us a message, right? There's lots of ways as we know in this room, there's lots of ways, right, to read this. And, and one is exactly that, that he's just talking to God, right? He's saying, in a sense, I want to fulfill your, I want to fulfill your desire for us, which is to go serve the, the strangers. Absolutely, 100%. Well, uh, right. My point was there's more of a oneness. Whatever the way that it was written originally and the way the rabbis, we don't, we don't have to think that it's just God is here and the strangers were there. Hundred percent. Hundred yes. Okay. Like like Dana said, God is with Abraham as Abraham visited. And as Art Waskow is gonna is gonna say, the strangers are God. There is no division. There, of course. And of course and of course. Okay. So let's go on. Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seers of choice flour. Need and make cake. So Abraham says, sit below this tree and let me bring you a morsel of bread. Then what does he do? Sarah! <laughs> make some bread! <laughs> this, is, this is how it works. This is still how it works. I'm bringing the boss for dinner. Oh, yay. Come, please come to my home, honey. Uh-huh. Right, right. Okay. Then okay. Abraham ran to the herd took a calf, tender and choice, and gave it to a servant boy who hastened to prepare it. He took curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them, and he waited on them under the tree as they ate. Okay. Not good. <laughs> so Bert is pointing out the curds of milk and the calf. <laughs> How could that possibly be? That Abraham served trafe? It's only later the rule was made. Right. So we don't have we don't have Torah yet, right? We don't have Torah yet. All right. But of course, the rabbis want to say that our, that our patriarchs fulfilled all the laws of the Torah even before Torah was given. All right, and what's the commandment in Torah about milk and meat? Not really a commandment. <laughs> well, it says don't make a kid and don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. That's right. So Abraham has not broken any laws. He did not see the kid in its mother's milk. That's all it says in Torah 
That's all it says. Don't cook a baby in its mother's milk, and it has to be a sheep. A kid is a no. It's a goat, right? So don't cook a baby goat in its mother's milk. That's the commandment. Abraham didn't do that. He served veal and labne yogurt. Okay, because it's great curds. Okay, so I love the next line. So they so they're eat. So remember that they're eating. Remember they're eating here, right? Which is interesting. Right? All right. So the women didn't eat with the men? No, of course not. God forbid. So that's why they said God forbid. Ah, so Elena caught it. These are angels. We find out these are malachim. They're angels. Do angels eat? But they ate. They could, you know, that so, okay, uh, now yeah. we're getting ahead. All right. He heard. Nine. They heard him say Sarah. <laughs> Go. They said to him, where is your wife Sarah? And he replied, there in the tent. Then one said, I will return to you next year, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind them. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. Sarah had stopped having the periods of women. And Sarah laughed to herself, saying, Now that I am withered, am I to have enjoyment with my husband so old? <laughs> I resent that. Oh, then, I resemble that comment. Then, oh, it's gonna get... Sarah says, I totally get this. <laughs> You're not so good looking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah is in her 90s. Right. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Saying, Shall I in truth bear a child old as I am? Is anything too wondrous for the Lord? I will return to you at the same season next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Sarah lied, saying, I did not laugh. But she was frightened. But he replied, you did laugh. Okay. One of my favorite scenes in Torah. Okay. The Malachim say to Abraham, right? Aye, Sarah Ishtecha. Aye. Where is Sarah? Where have we heard Aye recently? This, a form of this word? Aye, where are you? Uh, where did we hear that? In the garden. When God is talking to Adam. At the heat of the day, mm-hmm. right? In the afternoon, right? Same setting. There's trees here. It's the first time I've ever seen tree, like, okay. So now it's all starting to line up. God's walking around the garden, right? In the day, right? In the late afternoon. And, right? The whole business about trees. And God says, Ayeka, where are you? Okay. Right? Like God doesn't know where, the, of course, God, right? so it's another kind of question. Ayeka, where are you? Here we have a bunch of trees. We have some eating. It's the heat of the day. And we have malachim. We have divine messengers saying to Avraham, aye, where? Where's who? Sarah Yishtecha. Something they shouldn't know. But he's famous, Avraham. He's a sheikh. He's a pretty famous guy. 
maybe they've heard of him. They're coming into his territory. You better know who the big guy is around here, right? The BMOC and what's his wife's name and bring her something nice, a candle or something, right? So he, whatever it is, it's already a little, okay, if they, they know who, okay. I guess, but they don't know where she is, right? So again, this kind of question, it's not really about a GPS, right? Um, piece of information that they're looking for. And he replies, what does he basically reply here? She's where she belongs. She's, she's, she's in the, te- duh. Like, where do you think she'd be? I'm a good, I'm a good Near Eastern guy. Bronze Age Near Eastern guy. She's in the tent. You think I'd let her walk around unless she's tending the flocks? Wait. Then one said, I will return to you Right, the it's a it's, the translation isn't fantastically spot on because it's hard to translate. But I will return to you next year, meaning at this same season, I will come back at this eight at this season. Moe and and uh, and Sarah, what's going to happen for her? Bain <laughs> Sarah Ishtacha. The Sarah and Sarah Shamat Petacha Ohel, and Sarah heard. From where? The, the Petah HaOhel. Behind the, the, the opening of the tent. Where was Avraham sitting at the beginning of our parsha? Petah HaOhel. You have to be at the opening. You have, if for you to encounter the divine, you're going to have to be open. You're going to have to position yourself at the opening. The petach, the petach here, and now it says the tent is where? It adds this bizarre thing at the end. What does it say? The tent is what? It was behind where they were sitting and eating. The tent was behind him. Behind whom? Behind Abraham. Mm -hmm. Right. Why does Torah have to add Vehu acharav, and the tent was—it's tagged on to the end of the sentence in Hebrew. It, that the tent is behind him. This is the first time reading this. I've been reading this stuff for how long? <laughs> a really long time. Um, it's the first time it ever jumped out at me when he's about to slay Isaac, and the Malach calls Abraham, Abraham, don't. What immediately happens? Who's behind him? What's behind him? There's a ram me'acharav behind him. Sarah's in the tent behind him. There's a town or a place in Israel called Petach Tikva which means hope of the doorway or something. Petach Tikva, sitting at the opening of hope. Yeah. So that's really nice. (laughs) (laughs) So Sarah now really likes the name of that town. And don't we still talk at Rosh Hashanah about opening the gate and we have to be open? That opening and being open is through all of our practices. And then, and then asking, where are you? Where are you right now? 
are you open? The gate is open, are you? All right, so we have lots of Midrashim to write about this, but I want to go on to what Sarah says. <laughs> Sarah's listening at the tent that now we're told is behind Abraham, as is in a bit the ram going to be behind Abraham. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. Sarah had stopped having the periods of women, which means what? Right, because otherwise, there's no reason to tell us this in Torah other than to make it very clear she has stopped ovulating. There is no possibility of conception if she has stopped ovulating, at least not natural conception. That's why this point is important. It has to be made extraordinarily clear that this is going to be a non-natural, non-normative pregnancy. Right? So, A, because it's a miracle. So it has to be clear that it's a miracle. Why else might it be really important for us to know that she has not been ovulating for a while? And that this is a supernatural pregnancy. She got taken into oh. Pharaoh's oh. Oh. oh yeah. Oh yeah. So that way it couldn't be Pharaoh's. <laughs> we have to be very clear this is not Pharaoh's. And because these stories would have been about priestesses in the past who were part of the sacred marriage. And the sacred marriage was you had sexual relations with the representative of the God. Who would that have been in the ancient world? Either the priest or the king. So we have a virgin birth in our story. 100% we do. 100, well, they're going to, I mean, it gets interpreted that Avraham is the father. The miracle is the conception, not a virgin birth. She's not a virgin Right. She, she's not in any sense a virgin. But immaculate but conception. It's not immaculate. Yeah. It is not immaculate. We don't need immaculate. What is immaculate? Immaculate means without sin. Yeah. That is not a part of, we don't, no. that has no relevance it's for us. It is supernatural. But we have to be careful because these stories are based on a tradition that would have had Sarai having intercourse, sacred intercourse with the king and would have had a semi-divine child, right? We have to be, so Torah has to be very careful to make sure to understand it is not Pharaoh we're dealing with here. She has not had period. She was not ovulating. Torah could not be more clear. So what's, so the pregnancy is going to happen now Miraculously, because Yud Hey Vav Hey wants it. Okay. Why was Tara behind? You didn't finish that thought. Why is Tara? Right. I haven't worked it all out yet. But, <laughs> but, um, so who, what, what, the ram that's behind Abraham, what happens to it? It gets sacrificed on the altar. Do you remember the Midrash that says that? And uh, uh, Satan comes to Sarah and tells her where Avraham and Yitzhak are. Do you remember this? We studied Aviva Zorenberg. 
Satan comes to Sarai, there's a Midrash. Satan comes to Sarai, Sarah and tells her where Abraham is and what he's doing. And what happens at that moment? She dies. She dies as a result of the Akedah. So the ram that's behind Avraham is sacrificed on the altar at the Akedah, and there is a tradition that so is Sarah. She dies as a result of the Akedah. That's my loose, I haven't worked it all out yet, but that's my loose current interpretation. So I know that this was written by all men, but I have to say, and, and it's usually alone, you don't find anything so funny in it, but it is really human. All right, hey, hang on, hang on. You're getting ahead of me. All right, here we go. You know how, you know that makes me crazy. Okay, here, here we go. All right, so... So we are being told very clearly she's not ovulating, right? right. Could we be more clear that she's not ovulated? Okay. So Sarah, she laughs. How does she laugh? Inward. In her midst. In the midst of herself. She laughs. And what does she say? Lemor. edna. The Adoni, here we go with Adoni again, the Adoni Zakain. The Hebrew is very hard to translate, but essentially she's saying, um, it's been so long, like I'm so long not past there. I'm so long past there. Haitali Edna, the Adoni Zakain. Am I to have Edna? No. No, because what's the next thing she says? Am I to have Edna? Don't read that vav as an and. Read it as a disjunctive vav. Am I to have Edna, but my husband, my master, Zaken? My master's old. I can still have Edna. Yeah, sure. Yes, pleasure. I can still do that. But my husband is old. This is before Viagra. This is way before Viagra. (laughs) We have to assume that what Sarah, first of all, first of all, Sarah knows from Edna. Mm -hmm. Right? Sarah knows from Edna. So, She's she, and she's not saying I'm incapable of Edna. But she's saying he. She's saying he's old. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? <laughs> well, yes. and and it was hilarious to Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> it was hilarious. Okay, maybe it's hilarious. One interpretation. We have many, many interpretations. One interpretation is it's hilarious. She just busts out. It's a, like, kidding. Right? It's you gotta be like kidding me. That you, like, that's written. just a joke. That's just hilarious. That's hilarious. It's just like unlike anything written in Torah, this particular sentence. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. All right, so <laughs> one laugh is that she is. Um, she just thinks that's hilarious. Like, it strikes her as seriously funny, right? That she's going to conceive, uh, right? That he can, right? That he can manage that, 
right? Not that I know of. That that they really don't talk about Abraham's. Presumably, he will be over the moon. But we know from reading forward, we know that he has a very hard time having to let Ishmael go. Right, so it's a much different reality for Abraham in some ways than it is for Sarah, because the birth of Sarah's of a child of her body, what is that going to do to Ishmael? Boot him out. It, well, it's gonna. You know, if we remember when we read these stories from the perspective of you know ancient Near Eastern women's um, religion, uh, she she's chosen an heir. Sarah has to have an heir. Who's her heir right now? Ishmael. If she has a child of her body, it, it will replace Ishmael and it will displace his son, who he, we know he loves because God has to comfort him about it. Like, don't worry, the boy's going to be okay. He also will be a great nation. So I think this is a very different reality for Abraham and for Sarah. So she, one laugh is, is this is just hilarious mm-hmm. that that could, that he could get it, whatever. So, um, but what else, what else, what other kind of laugh might, might this be? What if it's not just, what if it's not because it's funny? Or, or it's, it's a mix fear of it. Be fear. Because? How, I, how can I do this? I'm too old for this. Panic. It would panic me. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So, panic. I, I've had many dreams where they tell me I'm pregnant and I panic. Like, wait, what? First of all, how did this happen? <laughs> right? <laughs> you get how that might be like a threat, right? How did this happen? Um, and, number, and number two, like, wait, I don't, like, wait, what? Like, I've done this, I've, I mean, seriously, and I wake up, like, you know when you wake up from a dream and you, you know, and you can barely breathe? And so this happens, this is a recurring nightmare for me. And they're like, feel it, Amy, you can feel the head. So, so I know it's bizarre, but maybe I've over now exposed a little bit too much of my inner life, but um, Sarah very possibly is panicked, right? You're, wait, what? I'm going to have labor and delivery for women in the ancient world was, was you could die. You or the infant could die, but you get pregnant really old. And, and the, odds the odds are like they go up how much? That she's not going to survive this pregnancy, right? And it's not like we don't know from that. Think, and it's not like she was asking. Well, she used to. She used to pray fervently for a child, and now, now you're going to answer me? Now? That's true. You decided this was a good time? For me to get pregnant? Thank you. Thank you for that. So, possibly panic. Next. <laughs> right? I'm right. Next? I was just making some mahala. What? What? All right. We do the next sentence. So, yes, okay. <laughs> Bert's favorite sentence is next. All right. Uh, then God says to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I in truth bear a child old as I am? Is anything too wondrous? For me, for, as for God, 
I'm coming back same season next year and Sarah will have a son so why is that Bert's favorite line because God lies God, God lies. lies to protect Abraham's uh, self image how does God lie where does God because, lie well because Sarah said how am I to have a child because of him and God says because she was so old and saves uh, saves Abraham from the humiliation that his wife had said that he couldn't, whatever he couldn't do. Right. So God, God quotes Sarah as saying, Va'anizakanti. But I'm so old. Like, I'm, so, I'm going to have a baby, but I'm so old. She never uses the word Zakain about herself. Right? She uses it about Avraham. So the rabbis can't have God lying, God forbid. So what we, what we learn, say the rabbis from this, is if it's truly to spare someone's feelings, we're allowed to bend the truth. So if I say, do these stripes make me look fat? No. Cecile immediately no. said no. Right? We, we, there are certain times we know what the answer is because there's no point in telling the truth. They're already out in public in the pants. Right? Like all brides, all brides are, are beautiful. beautiful. You, what are you going to say to a bride? Really? <laughs> you, you chose that dress? You said yes to that dress? Right? You, there are times you, ha- you right? It's just the only right thing to do sometimes mm-hmm. is what we normally say is the wrong thing to do, right? Is to, is to not tell the exact truth. So God does not tell the exact truth because God is, um, is taking care, uh, according to the rabbis, of Abraham's feelings. And Sarah, though, what is Torah very clear about what Sarah does? Sarah lies. Yeah. <laughs> right? Sarah says, I didn't laugh because she was frightened. Why is she frightened? It was a nervous laugh. She wasn't Why is she so scared right now being confronted about laughing? It was a laugh that hurt him. She was. Why is she terrified right now? When she, she laughed at God. She what? She laughed at God. She laughed at Right. She laughed to herself. Right. How could anyone know that? That's right. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. That's why she's terrified. What if you said in your head, he is so old. Are you kidding me right now? He is so old. And then someone comes and says, why did you say that about Abraham? That Abraham's so old. I didn't. What? Like, how could, how could anyone know this? She, she has every right to be 100% flipped out the front door. It's also not a lie because she did not laugh in the traditional sense. She didn't laugh, ha ha ha. She was just thinking, that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Right, so, so Tara's characterizing it as she knows that she's saying something not exactly true. But if we really, really get serious about looking at, at the literal whatever, she does, you're right, she doesn't really lie. She laughed to herself. She didn't laugh out loud, right? But she's caught, she's been caught in, 
in her reaction, whether it was out loud or to herself, she's been called out on her reaction. And what she, I I think what the reason Torah characterizes it that way is because what she's denying is that reaction. Because she's so flipped out, as you can... God is speaking to Abraham here. Yes. Right? Yes. So I assume Sarah then is hearing it? Why would she say, I did not laugh? Right. Who would she say that to? Right. And then my assumption is, but he replied, the he being God. Here, the he is capitalized. Where? The last... Sarah said, I did not laugh, for she was frightened, but he replied... Right. Right. The, we, the, the he... Right. Right. So, so as usual, right, if you take out the capital H and we're just looking at the Hebrew that has no capitals, it could have been Avraham who says to her, yes, you did. But how would Avraham know she laughed? He, so that's right. Unless he knows Sarah, right? And maybe he knows Sarah well enough to know, oh, 100%. You busted out at that. Isn't it interesting, too, that we've gone from the three apparitions or men one. We've lost the three. Yeah. Well, we don't know that we've lost them. What we'll, all we know is that only one is speaking. If they all spoke at the same time, that would be a little weird. One speaks at a time. Having No. No. Mapitom. They're 90 something. Sarah, come on, help me out here. Wouldn't you laugh? Wouldn't you laugh? I mean, could you condemn her for laughing for someone to say Itzik is going to get her pregnant next week? I love Itzik. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. Could you. Why is one more suitably laughable than the other? I, I laugh, and I'm going to tell the story to Itzik, and he's going to laugh. Good, good, good. <laughs> I just wanted to share a different perspective in terms of ultimate Torah. Here's my sense. There was no lie. There was more going on that was written in the Torah, and it's all true. Terrific. No lie. Terrific. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> and my one Terrific. example is Sarah laughed inwardly. So she wasn't lying. She, she, she was saying, I didn't laugh outwardly. Yeah, we covered that interpretation. Okay, so, yes, 100%. 100%. Okay. Let's go to Waskow. Art Waskow. So we're going back to the three people appearing. We're going back to the Anashim, who we later find out are Malachim, right? We find out they are angels coming to give Sarah a message, coming to deliver this miraculous news. So Arthur Waskow is talking about, well, if they're, are they people? Are they God? Are they angels? Like we often get this confusion when we have, we've seen this lots of places. It's God, it's the angel, is it who's talking, what's talking? What's happening? And we've talked about that that's a device. It's a literary device in order to make things not normal because it's not normal what's happening here. So the editor knows this is jumbled, but it's a, it's a literary device to remind us this is a supernatural uh, encounter. So Waskal says, which I just think is beautiful, 
I would read this, that the three men, as as someone over here said, that the three men were, wait, Dana, to your point. The three men were the visible, seeable presence of God. That usually we refuse to see this in each other and that the breath of life on this occasion made the divine presence in these people totally visible, seeable to Avraham. Then he acted to affirm the holiness of what he now saw was utterly holy by feeding God, who of course is never visible except in all that is around us. That is, is always visible if we open our eyes. If we saw as Abraham saw, if we never thought we were taking our eyes away from God when we looked with care at human beings on the rest of God's creation, if we looked at the face of each hungry stranger and said, oh my God, we would have the radical amazement that Heschel said God calls us toward and we would stop separating the mundane from the holy. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday Morning Torah Study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.